Well, a church without godly leaders is an endangered church. And a church that fails to train its leaders is an unfaithful church. Let those two things sink into your mind. A church without godly leaders is an endangered church. And a church that fails to train leaders is an unfaithful church. God gives leaders to his churches for the maturity, unity, and soundness of every local body of believers. So without godly, faithful, replicated leadership, then churches will suffer deeply. Uh, We know that uh, this morning we saw how that the office of a deacon was actually brought to fruition because of a crisis in the church and how that those seven men were chosen. And in light of that, the word of God spread and continued and souls were saved. And so the unity as well was protected in the body. And as we get into the Apostle Paul's writings, we don't have him saved yet, do we, in Acts? We've got to get to Acts 9 to see the salvation of Paul. And in chapter 13, you will see that Peter, uh, as the primary focus of delivering the sermons and being the focal point of the gospel going to the ends of the earth, is going to transfer over to the Apostle Paul. And then as you read Acts, you begin to understand geographically where he is when he writes certain epistles. And eventually, he's going to write 1st and 2nd Timothy. We call those, the, we call 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus the pastoral epistles. Did y'all know that? Why? Because they're written to pastors and they're written by Paul to <coughs> Timothy and Titus. And when we get over to look at 1st Timothy, I might read it tonight, but we're not going to study 1st Timothy tonight because I can't get all I need to say in tonight. You understand? So y'all know how I am, right? So we're going to review kind of Acts 6 and bring out some important notes on that. But Paul's going to give instructions to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3 that's going to deal with qualifications for deacons. What kind of character should these men possess and how can we spot it? And the goal is to find table servants. A pretty nifty title, isn't it? It doesn't sound like... uh, I guess if we were going to have another title, we could say the role of the deacon. But the fact of the matter is, I like that title. Finding table servants. How do we find them? How do we find the deacons that we need at our church? The goal is to find table servants. How many of you frequent restaurants? How many of you go out and eat? Yeah, I can tell that we all like to go out and eat. Uh, The... My seniors in the back are ready for me to say amen so they can jet off to Brahms. We know that. Aside from the joy that we all sense in sharing a meal together, having a, a good waiter helps, doesn't it? The fact is, when waiters enjoy their task as table servers, uh, we all we, we see that they're eager to serve. They're available, but not intrusive when they're experience is more of an enjoyable experience for them it's a whole lot more enjoyable to us of course the downside is patrons generally don't get to choose their waiters we just we get the one that shows up but it's a blessing to have a wonderful waiter but you may not have a wonderful one the server may not know the the menu very well 
He could be experiencing a bad day. He could have poor judgment skills. He may be arriving at your table having visited the other table, and they were mean Baptists, right, to them, and then they come to you. Uh, but you may not have realized it, but there is at least one aspect of the church life that is much like a meal at a restaurant. The local church has table servers too. If you don't know the menu, if you don't know the heart of the church, if you don't know what you're supposed to be really supporting most fervently, then uh, you're probably not going to do too good of job when people come in and you're seeking to help them. The joy and the peace and the unity and the fruitfulness of a local church depends in part upon the faithful table servers who are present when needed. They're eager to serve without being intrusive. Now, I want to focus on finding these faithful men, faithful table servers who give themselves to caring for the needs of the body. And I would remind you that deacons are an indispensable part of serving the body of Christ, supporting under the word of God as it's preached, and also the unity of the church and as the ministries multiply. And we saw this in the book of Acts. The apostles charged the church in Jerusalem to find several men full of the Spirit and of wisdom. And again, although the term does not appear in Acts 6, the word deacon, the word diakonos, servant, is there. And so this passage seems to point directly to finding table servants, those who are willing to take on those administrative tasks for the glory of Christ, for the good of the body, in support of the word of God being preached and prayer. And so, in reviewing Acts 6, y'all want me to do that uh, real quick, Lee? Yeah? Acts 6, verse 1, again, we, we read that this morning. I won't do it again, but there was, an, there was an increasing number of disciples. There was a murmuring, smile and say murmur. Oh, yeah. This was going on in the life of the church, and immediately, once the ministry was endangered, there was a... Uh, an opportunity set before them. 6.1 points out the opportunity. That's the first thing. Reviewing Acts 6, there was an opportunity. Why? Spiritual prosperity is a great thing, isn't it? People were being saved and rolled into uh, the Acts 6 model of Sunday school, Chuck, right? Those house churches, they were being added to the church. They were fellowshipping together. The Word of God was advancing and producing fruit. And there was the opportunity. But here's the threat. Inside the church, you've got the Greek-speaking Jews that lodged a complaint against the Hebrew-speaking, or you've got the uh, Jewish, you've got the Hellenized Jews complaining to the Palestinian, real pure Jews, right? And you've got this going on, and the former group didn't believe food was distributed equally among the widows, nor did the unequal distribution appear to be random to them. They felt like they were being neglected. So it looked uh, as if they were treated differently because they were either Greek or Hebrew. And so there were cultural and ethnic prejudices that were present in the church. And uh, don't think that doesn't happen today. It shouldn't, but it does. And so that's the threat. Opportunity, the church is growing, just like our church. We can look at it this way. The church is growing, uh, increasing in numbers, and the word is being preached. But God will often send a crisis directly to us to see how we're going to respond. And again, we learned this morning that God can take a crisis and turn it into a blessing. And so he did that. The solution was the apostles did two things. First, they determined to prioritize their own ministry. What was that priority? Preach the word and pray was the priority. 
over caring for those particular needs. Not to say those needs were not important, but the priority was for those men to preach the word. Second, they instructed the church to choose seven table servers as deacons. And so in doing this, they made provision for both the support of the preaching of the word and the ministry to the widows. Now, again, to our modern sensibilities, when you hear something like table servers, you're thinking, man, that's a demeaning, low-rung-on-the-ladder job. How many of you think that's the case? That's why you're not willing to sign up as deacons, right? It's not. A person who waits on tables would begin to think, well, that's what you do when you're working through college, right? Just to make your way through college or passing the time away until your real career takes off. But, and people regard maybe serving tables as a necessary thing until you can make ends meet a different way. But how different it is in the Lord's church. That's not the way the deacons are seen. As a matter of fact, in chapter 3, they do an, it's an excellent thing for a deacon to serve well. Y'all see that? Y'all remember that in 1 Timothy 3? So it's something that carries a whole lot of prestige and honor from the Lord when a deacon serves as he should. There is a loftiness of the office. And it's seen in Acts 6 and 1 Timothy in at least three ways. First, the character of the individuals required of it. And what was the character? Spirit, full of spirit and of wisdom. And then B, there's the fact that it facilitates the ministry of the word and prayer. That's so important. And then C, there's the unifying and strengthening effect to the whole body of Christ when they're functioning as they should. So, the deacon ministry is so important. We could stop and ask ourselves, are there widows in our church who are not being cared for? I mean, that's the first thing you kind of come away with and I, I know there's a difference between now and then when you have social security and first timothy indicates that widows some widows may not be in need that means that they may have had family to take care of them but when the widow is in need it's the church's obligation not the government but the church's obligation to step up and take care of them are there cultural tensions and threats to the unity of our church because that was one issue was waiting on the tables for the widows, but there are other administrative things that can cause division and crisis in the church. So the, the question we have to ask is, when you have those tensions and threats, uh, you want a deacon body that's going to step up and protect the unity of the church, and that was the case here. So the position of deacon was established to promote harmony, to cross those cultural and language lines. Is the church... Or has the church in the past been threatened by a split? You know, I, you hear this all the time, even in our surrounding area. Just one recently sticks into my mind. A church not far from here over an issue of a church discipline. And the church sided with the sinful couple instead of the pastor. That's a sad commentary. But it happens in churches. Well, a deacon... That serving under the word will say, you know what, we love you, but we have to stand on the word of God. And the word of God says that you can't shack up and be in leadership in the church. You just can't do that. So the unity of this church, the purity of this church is so much more important than us just kind of going along with the flow. And, and doing, just thinking we're helping somebody by not telling them that that lifestyle doesn't line up with what the word of God teaches 
So we may say that in a lot of ways, deacons were the shock absorbers, right? To be able to deal with that kind of difficulty, absorb the complaints and concerns, to absorb or to resolve them in a godly manner, to preserve the unity and to preserve the witness of Christ to the community. Just think about the first thing that goes when there's difficulties in the church. About the very first thing that happens is the fervency and fire of evangelism. That's just squelched. When the church is fighting internally, nobody's concerned about winning people to Jesus. They're just concerned about who's going to win the fight down at the local Baptist church, which is a terrible thing. Deacons are designed by God to protect the unity of the church. No matter what that takes uh, to spread the word of God, the commissioning of the deacons was, think about this, their very commission was tied to the word of God. Always remember that. They were, their commission was tied to the faithful preaching of the word of God. And the word spread. Disciples increased rapidly. Who among us would not want to see the word of God spread? Right? Who among us would not want to see disciples rapidly increasing in our body? How many of us would not want to see people coming, uh, becoming obedient to the faith? And those were things that happened when the deacons functioned as they should. An effective deacon ministry facilitated in this early church freed. So you had the deacons of the table, but you had the deacons of the word. Right? You had servers of the tables, you had servers of the word, and the apostles were freed up to do their work. So with this understanding in mind, I pray that the Lord would guide us in our consideration of deacons and how to find them. So that was the review of Acts, the opportunity to threat and then the solution. Now I want to talk just a moment about deacons are to be men known to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. So as we're looking at deacons, um, we must look for men full of the Spirit. Now look, folks, the office is a spiritual office. Now, I know we, we say that tongue-in-cheek, but I don't really... Th I've been in a lot of churches where that's not the way they viewed it at all. As a matter of fact, if you, if you owned a local store or... A, uh, Especially used car salesmen. <clears throat> but if you were out in the community and you seemed to have administrative ability and or you dealt with finances or you ran a business, man, wouldn't that person be a great deacon? I, I remember standing of all places in a restroom. And we were looking for faithful table servants. And I have to admit to you, I was younger. I was in my upper 20s pastoring a church, my first church, as a matter of fact, so I could plead ignorance. But I remember one of them saying, hey, we, we, need a, we need a couple of deacons. You willing to serve? And this is just a guy in the community. And I was thinking to myself, does he, does he know anything about the spirituality of this person? Because I sure didn't know. I didn't see him at church half the time. But he was supposed to be a deacon. So the fact of the matter is, keep in your mind that this is a spiritual office. I mean, this is a spiritual calling from God. It's, a, it's, it's to discharge, it's discharge is a spiritual work. And although it involves a, spe a specific task, it's a spiritual work. The church and the gospel will receive no advantage in our church, in this community, if we appoint people that are not full of the Spirit and of wisdom. It'll be to no advantage to this church body or the advancement of the gospel to the ends of the earth if we choose people who are not full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Deacons ought to be men known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Now, what I've done is uh, I want to give you uh, five questions, and we're done. 
That's going to be easy, isn't it? Not like this morning when I looked down, it was 11.30. And I think Chuck looked at Dana and said, that was just his introduction, right? But I, did re- I went real fast and got done. I really did. Okay, does the prospective deacon have a reputation for being filled with the Spirit and wisdom? Uh, write that one down. If you want these notes, David, did we put these out? We, we didn't do the little form tonight, but I can get that for you. But the early church... Uh, did not take a chance on men that had unproven character. Deacons must be men who are controlled by the Spirit rather than their own flesh and their own sinful desires. Moreover, the Bible tells us that the beginning of wisdom is the fear, I'm not going to say the whole thing, of the Lord, right? Proverbs 1, 7. So deacons should be men who know how to live by God's precepts, who know how to not only live by them, but to apply them to practical decision-making processes in the local body of believers. That is the essence of wisdom. The essence of wisdom is to take the Word of God and apply it to life in life situations. Not just say, I know this, but when it comes to living it out, you apply it to your decision-making process. So I ask, does the prospective deacon have the reputation of being in step with the Lord God Almighty in in spirit and living wisely before the Lord. That's the first one. Number two, does the prospective deacon put the ministry of the word and prayer above the practical needs of the church? Now, this is important. Primary purpose of the apostles appointing deacons was to do what? Make sure the ministry of the word of God was not neglected. To make sure, that's the primary reason that deacons were formed, is to make absolutely sure that the Word of God was not neglected. So if one is to serve as a deacon, he must understand his role is an opportunity for the ministry of the Word and prayer to go forward. So right up front, top of mind for a deacon is you've got to be committed in the heart of hearts to the preaching of the Word from this pulpit. In classes, in Sunday school classes, when the Word is taught and preached, you've got to be committed to that. There you are, Chuck. I was looking for you while I was... Yeah. yeah. But committed. Committed to that. Does that make sense? You know, we could easily say, well, that had to be cultural. It was cultural or situational because of their context. That's why, you know, it only had to do with back then. No, folks, all the way through the New Testament... The preaching of the Word has the central place. Uh, folks, that's when God is speaking to you. He speaks through His Word. And so that has to be protected. And so if a deacon is going to serve, he has to have this attitude that I'm not competing with the Word being preached. Right? I'm not going to be divisive when the Word is preached. Uh, I'm not going to be the very one who's going to be a talebearer. And who's going to act out. But I'm going to have my life lined up with the word. Not only are you going to line your life up with the word. But you're going to encourage others to do so. To listen to the word. Take it in. So does he have a facilitating aspect to his role? Absolutely. There are practical needs that have to take place. Whether it be a waiting on tables. But the primary thing is that you fall under the word. A solid deacon prioritizes God over man. God's will and the holiness of God are more important 
than man's stature, right? So a solid deacon prioritizes God over man, the soul over the body, and eternity over time, even when he attends to the important, practical, and bodily needs of people. When, you're, when deacons are serving this church family, making a hospital visit, doing hospitality, uh, serving in the children's ministry, wherever that might be, whatever way we design these tasks that deacons need to do, the whole time you're serving, you have in your mind that you're serving so that the ministry of the Word will go forward. That has to be the priority. God, let your name and your glory and your Word be preeminent in the life of this church. And all those, although these practical tasks are important, uh, I know how important they are because I make hospital visits too, right? And, and I take care of those things. I can't be the only one doing that, but I understand how important that is. At the same time, I know that all of that serves a greater thing, and the greater thing is that the Word be preached. So does the prospective deacon have a reputation for being filled with the Spirit? Does he understand uh, prayer and the preaching of the Word over the practical needs? I'm not saying practical needs are not important. I'm just saying that the preaching of the Word and the teaching of the Word supersedes that. It's more important than the practical things. And sometimes we get that turned on its head. And we're, we're going to be just running around in circles if we're not putting a priority upon the Word. Because faith cometh by taking care of practical needs. No. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing happens by the Word. Number three, is he a servant? Uh, again, you might, you might be tempted to see this as some kind of demeaning task, but we Christians should not miss the fact as well that such lowliness and willingness to serve reflects the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He made himself of no reputation, coming in the form of a servant and took on the form of a bond servant so does the potential deacon see service as a necessary part of following Christ I didn't say meeting behind closed doors once a month and running the church I said does he see it as a does he see himself as a servant of the Lord is he happy to accept a menial task even when it lacks the glamour that we think it ought to have or does he want applause? Does he want recognition for the particular ministry that he may be over? Is he a servant? Number four, does he have evidence of the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5, through 23 tells us what the fruit of the Spirit is. In other words, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, you got the nine fruits of the Spirit in you. Right? You do. You hear people say sometimes, well, I just, I, 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 I would, but. I know I'm supposed to be gentle, but. I know that I'm supposed to be loving and joyful and peaceful, but. That sounds like billy goat Christianity, doesn't it? <laughs> button here and button there and button here. You know, these nine fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, if you're saved by grace through faith and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, they're in your life, okay? Now, for some of you, the fruit may look like a dried-up raisin, barely alive. For some of you, it's a lush grape. 
ready to, you know, as a matter of fact, your life just holds the fruit, right? To drop it. You're a rack for the fruit. If you look at John 15, it's produced by the Lord because of your union with Him. It progresses with your union in Him. It's all the Lord. And that's, David said that this morning, apart from me, or was that tonight? Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's in the vine and the branches, right? You're the vine. We are the branches. Y'all know that song? Okay. But this is, when it comes to a deacon, the fruit of the Spirit ought to be there. Does this person have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Is it evident in the way he serves people in his general conduct? You're going to have some thorny frustrations if you serve as a deacon. You're going to have some difficult situations, problems in the local church that you're going to have to deal with if you're a deacon. So you need to be people full of grace. We all need this, not just deacons, right? You need to be able to address issues with the Spirit's power and these qualities that are found with people who are saved and have the fruit of the Spirit. You've got to keep in step and not become conceited. It's very interesting that following up the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 25 and 26, it reminds us that we don't need to be conceited, we don't need to be provoking and envying others. So when you do have the fruit of the Spirit, you've got to actually serve in the right kind of way. And by all means, don't forget 1 Corinthians 13. If you have all these things, but you have not love, you just sound like a clanging cymbal. If it's not done with love, if your motive, even in your scholarship or even in your study of the Word, the primary goal shouldn't be just to attain knowledge. It should be that you love God more. And that's not where it stops. You've got to love people more too. By the way, what are the two commandments? The greatest one is to love the Lord your God with everything you have. Let Him be the passion of your life and then love your neighbor as yourself. So everything we do in life, if we, keep those, if we live those two commandments in this church, we're going to be fine. Love God, love people. That's pretty simple, isn't it? We ought to write a book about that, right? New church methodology, just love God and love people. Well, that's what God asks us to do. So potential deacons need to be people who are not tail bearers or people who uh, can't keep a confidence. You need to be somebody that can be trusted. Do you know how to end the murmuring and complaining? You know, I can just, I look back over stories that I've been around in church life, and instead of putting an end to the murmuring and complaining, you kind of fuel it. Well, I don't know if I agree with the pastor or not. I, 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 I see where you're coming from, you know, or maybe, maybe you're right. Well, they might be right, but that's not how you deal with it. You may deal with it by saying, why don't you go sit down in the pastor's office and ask him what he said, what he believes on this issue, or what the situation is instead of backbiting and causing division. It's so easy for the church to, to go away from what God asks us to do. But if we just stick with the book, stick with how the Bible says we should deal with things, do others feel genuinely loved and gently treated while interacting with this particular deacon? I've been around some that are gruff, mean-spirited, uh, I mean, I've seen it all. I turned 47, by the way, last week. And I've seen a lot of things. I, I'm, still, I'm still young, I think. But, but I've seen some. Uh, I've had deacons wag their finger in my face in the back of the church because of the preaching of the Word. 
Uh, I've had deacons tell me all kinds of things. I can tell you numerous stories. Um, I must say, at my former church, we had some godly men. But we got a lot of godly men in this church, too. A lot of them. And we need to find those faithful table servants to move us forward in the future. Number five, does he demonstrate spirit-inspired wisdom? Not only do you need to be able to resolve problems, but you also need to be able to anticipate problems so that the unavoidable bumps along the way does not derail this church away from preaching in the Word and winning people to Jesus and praying the things that are most important. We don't want that to happen. And to do this, you've got to be a person of wisdom. Do you have good discernment and insight, sound judgment when you're interacting with people? Is he known for wisdom when addressing problems? Is he slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry, unlike Peter in the Bible? Remember him? Yeah. Does he consider the ideas of others? Or is he just committed to being bullheaded and thinks that he's the only one that can know something, right? And that his thoughts are most important. Does he use his wisdom in arriving in a decision or to a decision? And does he help others understand why the church has made that decision? Those are all very, very important. Cannot overestimate the importance of spirit-filled men serving in the office of a deacon. In my opinion, how do I view deacons? As, part, as partners in the gospel. Folks, that's what's most important, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ, preaching of the word. And if you'll keep that in your mind, I am, if you're a deacon and you serve at this church, I am a partner in the gospel. That's what this is all about, partners in the gospel. And let me just introduce 1 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 8. I want to read the text, and then next week we're going to break down a couple of these qualifications, and then the next week we'll finish it up with uh, preaching the rest of 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. 1 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 8. Just listen. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. And let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Well, it's not just about the man. There's something to be said about the gunaikos. That's the Greek word for woman. Uh, there's a scholarly debate on whether this is actually addressing women as serving as deacons. Or is this addressing their wives? Well, I think it's addressing their wives. And I think that it's vitally important to think about the fact that it's a team that is serving. It's a husband and a wife in most cases. And how does the wife line up in following the spiritual leadership? And how is her attitude? Well, that's very important in choosing a deacon, right? And so, Paul, we're going to talk about that. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well, listen to this, as deacons, gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. That sounds good, doesn't it? 
Well, we'll unpack that next week. For those of you who were faithful this morning to put up with me for ever how many minutes I preached, I'm going to give you a break tonight. But don't get used to it, right? It might go longer. Uh, before we pray tonight, uh, I want to tell you that uh, your associate pastor is not here tonight. Did y'all notice that? And that boy, Chris, will be here no matter what. But Chris had a bicycle accident today. And uh, he was uh, hurt pretty bad. So what I don't want you to do is call him. Uh, he, he's, I told you, Chris is a weirdo. But number two, he don't like, he, do, he doesn't really want, he doesn't want you coming up there. So just do us this favor. I, I really struggled with telling you, but I felt like as your pastor, uh, even though they told me not to, I'm telling you, all right? <laughs> because you need to know about, he's our staff member and we love Chris. And so the way I understand it, he and Riley were riding on bikes and got in a tight spot and he came off his bike and boy, it roughed him up knees, elbows, and uh, he bumped his head, and he hurt his shoulder. And so I don't know if he broke his shoulder, but he's at the hospital now. Don't go up there and don't call him. Okay, please, don't do that. It will, if you'll call us in the office tomorrow, or um, it may be that we can send out a Chuck, or one of us can send out a whatever we do from the center. <laughs> That's what administrators are for, right? <laughs> But we'll send out word to everybody how he's doing, okay? So, uh, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, whatever works. But y'all pray for Chris and Libby and Riley. I know Riley has to be shaking, shaking a little bit with our dad getting hurt like that, but just pray for him. Uh, Paul told me not to expect him in the office tomorrow, so he's banged up. And if he didn't get up and come to church, you know he's, he's hurt. So uh, let's lift him to the Lord, all right? Um, you want to close in prayer? Chuck, would you mind voicing a prayer for closing? And uh, we're not going to do an invitation tonight. Y'all okay with that? Just take what you heard and apply it to your life, right? That's more important than doing an invitation, okay? Let's pray for Chris. And then again, please uh, be patient, and we'll try to get the word out that he's okay. Uh, or call in the office in the morning, we'll let you know, okay?